Father, we thank you for this time now. Please would you open our eyes, help us to concentrate, help us to see what you're saying here about marriage, and about your purposes for human beings, and about uh, how good you are and how what we see in marriage points us to your love for your people. Help us to see all of these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, imagine you've been invited to take part in your favourite sport of choice. I don't know what that would be. Would it be football, rugby, basketball, cricket, tennis, tiddlywinks, chess, chess boxing? You arrive and uh, you're getting ready to play and you look around and you say, where do we play then? And someone says, oh, uh, there's no pitch here. There's no board. There's no court. There's no touchlines or squares or wickets. There's no jumpers for goalposts. And then they go on, you know, and by the way, just so you know, there's no pitch, but there's also, there's no rules. We don't like rules here when we play this sport. We prefer to play without any rules at all. You can play however you like. It's all cool. You know, kick the ball, run with the ball, pass it forwards, bowl with a bent arm, infinite second serves, all the pieces move to any square you like. Just play and have fun. How long do we play for, you ask? Well, there's no time limits. Just play as long as you want. What if the other players see it differently and they disagree? Oh, you'll work it out. It's just fun. Go and have fun. Well, I don't know about you, but none of that sounds like any kind of game worth playing. I don't know if you agree with that. See, there are times in life when boundaries and limits and things that you can and can't do are actually really good. And they're for our good, and they're for our benefit, and for our enjoyment of whatever it is that we're talking about. And actually, conversely, a lack of boundaries and limits in some contexts completely ruins everything for everyone. See, we tend to think of freedom as being able to do anything at all without anyone telling you what to do without any constraints. That's what we tend to think freedom is, isn't it? If you ask your friends and things what they think it means to be free, they'll think, oh, it just means having nobody telling you what to do. But as we've just seen, uh, that isn't always a good thing. Think of a fish. So suppose a fish jumps out of the water onto dry land. Maybe maybe that's involved a free choice on, on the part of the fish. You know, it's freely chosen to jump out of the water onto dry land. But once that fish is out of the water on dry land, would you consider that fish to be free? Would you call that free? Surely, actually, the fish is most free when it's in the water that it was made for and that was made for the fish. You see? So, last week we saw that God has designed sex with boundaries because sex points forwards beyond itself to the greater intimacy that human beings were made for with their creator. And this time we're going to focus more on why he's designed sex in particular for marriage between a man and a woman and not outside of that context. Now, what is that about when God does that? Is he just a spoil sport denying uh, human beings their freedom? 
What's the point? Well, there's two main things to see, and you can see on the handout and, and now on the screen as well. First of all, God made male and female to reflect God's union in difference. So right back at the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, we get told that human beings are different from the rest of everything that God made. So I don't know if you know uh, Genesis chapter 1 very well, but you, know, you, you, you may know that uh, it is poetic language. It's deliberately poetic in the way that it describes the world being made. There is a structure to how the world is made. Maybe it would be helpful if you had it in front of you just to see it on page 3. Not hard to find. Keep a finger in Ephesians chapter 5. Don't lose that. But uh, right back at the beginning, first page of print in the Bible. And you can see there is a structure to how God made the world. That's what these verses tell us. And you can even see in the way that it's been printed, it's been laid out. And God said, and then that's the first day. And God said, and the second day, in Genesis chapter 1. There's a structure, and what he does is he makes the world and the sky and the sea, and then he fills the sky and the sea and the land with animals and birds and, and fish and all that kind of thing. And each day, he says it's good. That's days one to five. He said, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then on the sixth day, he makes human beings. And he says a couple of things that set human beings apart from everyone else. So verse 26, you can see at the bottom of page 3 in the Bible. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and over all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Let us make man in our image to rule over everything else. Now, this is really important to see. Notice this. It's only human beings that are said to be made in God's image. So what does that mean? It's, it's, it means that you're supposed to be able to look at human beings and see something of what God is like. Not everything, because an image is not the same as the thing itself, is it? So a photograph of something, a photograph of somebody is not the same as the person that you've taken the photograph of. But if human beings are the image of God, then you're supposed to be able to look at human beings and go, ah, oh, yeah, I can see something about who God is by looking at human beings. We're meant to be like a visual aid, a representation of what God is like, at least in some respects. But then verse 27, he continues, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. So what do we see then? It, what, what, what we can see is that human beings being made in God's image means making male and female. Equal but different. Now we're not really talking all that much about gender in this four-week series that we're, we're thinking about and, and we, we, re we made reference to that last week as well. And there were a couple of talks on the website that we talked about that if you want to know more about that, talk to me or Corinne and we can tell you exactly where to find them. But just to say briefly, one reason Bible-believing Christians are concerned about the, 
the, the, this idea that's going around now that you know, gender is somehow fluid and merely a social construct. And one of the reasons Bible-believing Christians are concerned about that is that, well, it's not what God says is true about ourselves. It's not what God tells us about ourselves. He tells us he's created two sexes, two genders, male and female. And more than that, he tells us that these aren't random, but they're to do with being made in his image. So this is really foundational to, you know, as soon as he's made human beings, he's telling us about male and female. In other words, you need both male and female to reflect what God is like. And that's because male and female reflect something about God himself. You see, God is not merely one person. One, he's not merely one person. He's not a sort of monad. He is Trinity. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is three persons who together are the one God. And they're all equally God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And yet they are distinct from one another. So you see, in the Trinity, there is complete union in difference. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are one, and yet they are different from each other. Equal, yet different. So, why then? Why didn't God just create us to be like amoebae? You know if you remember, this, back at school, and you guys will be able to tell us about this, you study amoebas, don't you? Amoebae, with an E on the end. Lots of vowels, very confusing. Amoebae, which is a, a, a single-cell organism that you learn about in biology because it reproduces asexually. It reproduces just by itself. I think, if I remember rightly, I'll probably get this wrong, but I think it just divides in half. It's very clever. And then off it goes, and there are two of them suddenly, and off they go, and then they replicate and do the same. It keeps on dividing in half, and that's called asexual reproduction. Now... Why aren't human beings like that? Wouldn't that just save a lot of hassle? Why has God designed us like that? Well, the beginning of an answer to that question is that making human beings like that, and human beings, not amoebae that aren't made in the image of God, but human beings are. So what's different about human beings? Well, making human beings like that would not adequately represent what God is like in his world. It would not be sufficiently in his image. We need male and female to begin to represent the idea that there is a way to be totally equal and yet totally different from one another, with neither male nor female being in any way dispensable. Now this, this right here, is where the Western world gets its idea of equality from. Okay, now the thing is, in 2022 in London, we think equality is just kind of basic and obvious. We just think it's self-evident, and everyone everywhere who's ever lived obviously must understand that all human beings are equal. We cannot understand how it can be different. But actually, history tells us that that really, really has not been the case. And so, um, you know, it wasn't the Greeks or the Romans, for example, who taught us human beings are equal. What did they do, the Greeks and the Romans? Well, they left their female infants out to die on the hillside. 
They treated their slaves like animals. The reason the Western world thinks equality is obvious is because it has historically been so influenced by Christianity. And it's Christianity that begins by saying, God made human beings, so he gets to say what we're like, and he gets to say what we're worth. He gets to say, every human being is made in my image, therefore every human being is equal, and therefore, no, you can't leave certain types of people that you don't like out on the hillside to die. And you can't buy and sell different people as, as slaves for money, as if you own them. Because no, every human being is made in the image of God. You see, and the, the, where that comes from is right here in the Bible. And it's really important for us to see that and to challenge the idea that these things are self-evident. Actually, history tells us they're not. Even if you look around the world, they're not. But we get it from here. Now, there's a huge amount more we could say on, on sex and gender. Um, and uh, the, 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 the fact that you know, male and female equal but different and exactly what that means and, and how we understand that but we need to go further to see what it means particularly for marriage so that's what we're going to do secondly so here's the second thing we need to see god made sex for marriage between a man and a woman which is also all about union in difference okay so union in difference again for god making sex for marriage between a man and a woman and so we come to ephesians chapter 5 so, um, 1,176, look at that again. And again, there's a lot more than we can unpack here right now. And you can ask about um, submission and the husband as the head of the wife and all that kind of thing that it says in verse 23. What is that about? You can ask about that in the Q&A if you want. But did you notice that towards the end of those verses, he seems to be talking about marriage, but suddenly in the middle of that he says, I'm talking about Christ and the church. So what's going on then, Paul? Did he suddenly get confused? Did he suddenly lose his thread? You know, we thought he was having a sort of discourse about marriage and suddenly, oh, I've changed the subject. We're talking about something completely different. Well, no, the point is, the point he's making is that marriage is not just about two people loving one another and disappearing off into the sunset. That's not what marriage is. What he's saying is, as he talks about marriage and he teaches about marriage, he says, hey, do you realise God created marriage as a visual aid for God's love for his people in Christ? That's what marriage is for. It's why God has given it to human beings. And so, he says, as Christ loved the church, so husbands love your wives by laying down your lives for them. That is what marriage is. Like God invented male and female to tell us something about who he is, so he also invented marriage to tell us something about his love for his people. Husband and the wife model Christ and the church. And that fundamentally is why sex is for marriage between a man and a woman. It's not for outside of marriage because God doesn't love his people for a while and then find somebody different. It's a permanent union. That's the, that's the kind of love God has for his people. It's a permanent thing, isn't it? So marriage reflects that. 
and sex is for a man and a woman because it's a picture of a union of two different things, of Christ and the church. It is union in difference. So the whole point is, isn't it, that Jesus is not the same as the people that he dies for. He's Jesus, the church is the church. Jesus dies for the church. It's the bringing together of two different things. It's the bringing together, in the case of Jesus and the church, it's, the, it's bringing together holy God in Jesus with unholy people. Now, Paul is very careful in the way that he applies this analogy. And he, he says it's like this and not, you know, he's, he, it's like this in some respects and not in others. And he's very careful about how he, how he does this. So he doesn't say, for example, he doesn't say men are holy and women are not holy when he's saying that the husband is like Jesus and the church is like, uh, and the woman is like the church, the wife is like the church. So he, he's not pushing it to say, to, to as far as saying, you know, that means the man is holy and the wife isn't, or whatever it is. He's not saying that. But he does imply that there is a way in which husbands are to die for their wives, like Christ died for the church, which means to lay down their own desires for the sake of their wives. And then back in verses 22 and 23, and again, do ask about this later if you want to talk more specifically, but he then says, wives, submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord as the church submits to Christ. Do you see? So he's saying marriage is there to be a visual aid to point to the relationship that God has with his people. The union of two different things, of Christ and the church. Okay, and that is why the, 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 the Bible teaches that, that, that sex is for this kind of marriage between a man and a woman, not for... Um, other forms of, of marriage that our culture might have dreamt up, you know, talk about same-sex marriage. Well, same-sex marriage doesn't make sense from the Bible's point of view because it's the union of two same things, not two different things. It's not union in difference. But in saying that, immediately, this shows us why the world thinks Christians are mad. Now, maybe there are many reasons, but can you see, if you're not a Christian, and if you don't know what it means for Jesus to have died and, and, and how God has shown his love in Christ, then, of course, it's crazy to think that marriage or even sex itself should be restricted in any, any way. You, know, you can come up with kind of pragmatic reasons about, um, you know, not, not sleeping around, you know, sexual um, transmitted diseases and all that kind of thing. But getting to the more fundamental level of, you know, what is marriage for? Well, by definition, a non-Christian would just say, well, it's just simply about two people loving one another. I mean, what more is there to say? If there is no God, what more is there to say? That's all marriage can be. And then why should it be restricted to a man and a woman? In fact, really, actually, push it further, why do we really need marriage at all, the world would say? You know, do you need a piece of paper to really to prove that you're committed to each other? You know, these days, actually, people demonstrate commitment to each other in all kinds of different ways. You know, they give each other a house key. 
and move in and they get a mortgage together. And that's sort of committing yourself, isn't it? It's another way of doing it. What's the, what's the harm? That's what people want to do. What's the harm? And if there is no God, why get so hung up about an old institution? Things change. Times move on. The modern world is not the same as it used to be. Can you see? You see, the world around us does not see, but also cannot see, that sex should in any way be restricted to marriage between a man and a woman. And the world does not see and cannot see that marriage should remain as it's been for thousands of years because it doesn't see what marriage is meant to point to. Do you see? Now, this is really important for Christians as we think about how we interact with the world around us because increasingly, if we just stand up and say, we want marriage to stay the same, well, we need to understand how that is heard by a world that doesn't understand what we think marriage points to. So more than simply let's all defend the institution of marriage, what do we need to do? Well, the answer surely is we need to proclaim Jesus to the world. Because only when the world has understood who Jesus is that it will understand the rationale for saying sex is for marriage between a man and a woman. And it will be the same for us as individuals as well. We're thinking, well, I don't really understand this. I don't really get it. The thing to look is not kind of what, what does the Bible say the rules are and do I agree with the rules? That's not really the point. The point is, start with, do you understand who Jesus is? Do you understand what he's done? Because the claim is, this idea of sex within marriage is meant to point us to who Jesus is and what he's done. So start there and everything else starts to fall into place. Now we talked a lot last uh, week about the implications of this for both married and single people. But the point is not that marriage is the goal for every human being. That's the opposite of what this means. The point is that knowing God for eternity and enjoying knowing him is the goal. And marriage simply points to that. But this teaching and you know, understanding that God has put these boundaries in place for our good and put these boundaries in place so that we understand more about his love for us, all of it means that, yes, yeah, some people may get married, and that's great, but it also means that some either, you know, for all kinds of different reasons, may then stay single because they've understood this, uh, what, what, what this, um, the right place for sex within marriage. Now, I totally appreciate this is all easy to say and not necessarily easy to hear and not necessarily easy then to sort of explain to other people. One of the voices, though, that we need to hear from more and more is the voice of those who call themselves same-sex attracted. Often they prefer not to use the term gay, although some people do. Um, but, but the point is they are committed to living celibate lives as they seek to follow Jesus. And, and uh, we heard in the video, we just heard, in fact, the, the, the guy talking and who, who said, I'm same-sex attracted in the video, um, he's called Ed Shaw, and he's written this book that we're recommending that I'll tell you about later as well. Um, and he's behind the website livingout.org. Um, in, in many ways, these voices are not just a model for other people who have same-sex attraction, but actually they're a model for anyone who might find themselves involuntarily single because they're saying, look, my contentment is in Christ and I'm looking forward to 
perfect intimacy which, with him forever in eternity, which no relationship now of any kind can possibly uh, match or satisfy. But even more than that, it's a, so it's a model to those who are same-sex attracted, it's a model to those who might sort of say, I'm kind of single, but I, I'd love not to be. Um, but actually, it's, it, even more than that, it's a model to all Christians of whatever status, whatever standing, to say, actually, all Christians everywhere need to realise my contentment, first of all, must be in Jesus. Not in sex, not in relationships, but first of all in Jesus. And that is a model and a challenge for married people as much as it is for single people. Now, I talked about that website, livingout.org, and that is well worth looking at. It's got tons of articles, FAQs, videos, resources for helping Christians today think about the relationship between faith and sexuality, and I really recommend that. But it's important to say as well, one of the issues we face as a church is that this kind of teaching that we're talking about is easily heard as being excluding of, you know, people say, oh, what, what, what you're actually saying is, what you're saying, when it all comes down to it, what you're saying is that gay people aren't welcome. And I, I appreciate that, 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 that this is a real barrier for some people. But it's worth saying this. Jesus commands everyone who comes to him, everyone, to deny themselves and take up their cross and follow Jesus. The thing is, if you've already decided that who you have sex with is non-negotiable and you want to be able to have sex outside marriage, straight or gay or anything else, well, you are going to have a problem with that. But it's not about saying, well, you know, as long as you're straight, everything's fine. It's about saying that whoever we are, we're being asked to, and we're being told by Jesus, anyone who would come after me must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Anyone. And the question that follows, you see, if we're determined to say, no, no, but what you're actually saying is that gay people aren't welcome, what we're really saying then is the most fundamental thing we want to be able to say about ourselves is who we're able to sleep with. And that that somehow must, in the end, be our identity. Do we really want to say that? Do we really want to say that's the most fundamental thing we can say? Because the God who made us says that's not true. That is not the most fundamental thing that any of us can say about ourselves. He says we are made for a deeper, eternal relationship that doesn't end with a breakup, doesn't end with death, but lasts forever. A relationship that is perfect and satisfies our deepest longings. So um, the theologian, 4th century, Augustine, put it like this, God, you made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And that's true for all of us, of any sexuality. The, the challenge to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow Jesus is not just for those who aren't happily married heterosexuals, it's for every human being. It will affect every aspect of our lives, every aspect of our sexuality, whatever that is. Now, the film that we saw earlier begins to spell these things out in real people's 
lives. And uh, I said I'd point you to a couple of resources. Um, do write these things down on the, on the handout, it would be helpful. Livingout.org. Then go on YouTube and search for CEEC Beautiful Story. And you'll get a 30-minute video, which is, of which those two little clips we saw earlier are, are two excerpts from that longer video. And that is well worth a watch because it, it, it presents what the Bible is saying, not as a kind of, these are the things you're not allowed to do, but as a positive, look at how brilliant and beautiful God is and Jesus is and the gospel is. And look how that needs to define who we are as human beings and how we relate to one another. So I'd really commend that um, to you. Um, take about 30 minutes, um, or you can watch it in bite-sized chunks because it's kind of divided into chapters like we saw. And then there's this book, Purposeful Sexuality by Ed Shaw. If you look it up on Amazon, you'll find it. And we will, by the final week, we'll have a bunch of copies in two weeks' time to... Um, for you to be able to take away. But for now, what we need to see is, is simply this. Get ready for the Q&A later. Think of questions you might want to ask. But, but for now, marriage is given to us as a visual aid to see the best news in the world, which is that Jesus laid down his life for his people in the greatest act of love that transcends any act of human love. So if we fix our eyes and our hearts there on Jesus we'll find our ultimate fulfillment and we'll never be disappointed. So let's just pause for a moment and then we're going to sing our final song. Father God, we, we give you such great thanks that you are good and that the world you made is good and that, that you made us in a way that is good and that you have put boundaries in place and you've shown us what is right and wrong for our good so that we might flourish as human beings living as those made in your image to reflect your glory in the world. We know so much of this is spoilt by sin, of our sin is spoilt by sin of others around us. And we praise you, Heavenly Father, that Jesus has come into the world to show us your love, to show us what love looks like, and then to die and take the consequences of that sin so that when we put our trust in Jesus, what awaits us is a perfect eternity with you. We praise you for that great hope, that certain hope that we have when we trust in Christ that transcends every other act of love and, and human relationship as great as those things are. And so would we, all of us, be able to fix our eyes on Jesus wherever we stand with you now? Would you help us, Heavenly Father, to see Jesus and how good he is and put our trust in him and live for him and deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
great to see uh, so many questions um, uh, asked already. Um, what would be a good one to, to start with? Um, okay, how about, uh, yeah, how about this one? If you need both male and female to reflect God's image, how can a single person adequately feel like it's part of God's plan? Great, um, great question. So um, what we didn't really talk about at all was um, the fact that the other thing God has done is put us in a church family. So we're not, um, we're not just individuals and married couples. Um, but you know, fundamentally, who are we as, um, as Christian people? We are part of a, of a family. And within the family, um, we, we represent God um, together and, and we're all part of the plan. Okay, and I think one of the things that modern world does, which is unhelpful, and I think to some extent the church buys into this in a slightly unhelpful way, is to kind of focus on exclusive relationships as the be-all and end-all for um, human existence. And actually, um, you know, we, we can see that there's lots about marriage, which is good, um, but it's a, it, it, the, the church needs to say to, within itself to one another and to the world that actually there are different ways of flourishing as human beings, both as married and as single. Um, and so, you know, when we're saying, you know, broadly male and female are both needed to reflect God's image, it's obviously, you know, there's a way of doing that as a single person who is only female or only male, and there's a way of doing that as a married couple. Um, you can't do everything all at once, but we, we need it all together, and, and church family is definitely part of that. Mm, mm. And to some extent, we are still individually made in God's image as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, indeed. As us as individuals, and with our own unique um, gifts and, and all of that, reflect God in different ways too. Yeah, mm. thank you. Yeah, okay. Right. Um, I think this is, uh, let's have a, a, a look at this one. This is an interesting one. Um, should Christians draw a distinction between biblical marriage versus legal marriage, specifically considering married couples are afforded legal benefits not otherwise available to unmarried couples? I mean, this is, a, this is quite a big question and it touches on all kinds of things, like the relationship between church and state. Um, I would argue in this country, one of the things is there is no distinction between biblical marriage and um, marriage in the wider world. I think in other countries, sometimes there can be. Um, in this country, there isn't. So if you get married in church, you are married in the eyes of the state and there isn't any extra step required. Um, and actually, that, that's quite important for understanding that, that that is how marriage has evolved, that, that the church invented it and gave it to the, to the state as a, as a thing for the state to copy. Um, but therefore, um, you know, I wouldn't argue that, that, that it can't happen outside of the church. And if you're not Christians you know, and you want to get married, that's fine. I think the kind of precise question about what rights should be afforded to same-sex couples who aren't Christians is obviously pretty complicated. Um, and 
it depends on all kinds of things, um, and I don't particularly want to get into the nitty-gritty of, of that. Um, but I think um, from a, you know, is it, is it right for a, you know, should a same-sex couple enter into a civil partnership? Well, you know, it's, what, what does the Bible tell us? It tells us that um, marriage, sex is for marriage between a man and a woman. Start there. What are you trying to achieve by having a civil partnership if you're committed to the Bible's teaching about sex, for example? What, what is it, why do you want an exclusive relationship um, that sort of mirrors marriage but isn't marriage? Um, that, that may not be very helpful for the couple or you know, for the people involved or, or for those around them to understand what's going on. Um, but it's complicated. Yeah, any, yeah any I, I, I don't wisdom? think I've got anything to add, really. Yeah. yeah. Addition to what uh, to what you said on on that specific um, issue there. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, let, let's go for the one that's uh, got two votes. How should a young person deal with his first sexual desires if he she, she he is bound by these rules you talked about at the beginning? I mean, I think. Uh, that's a huge question that, that, that is best talked about um, kind of individually. So, um, uh, and, and, you know, find a trusted person that you can talk through those, that kind of question. Um, broadly, though, you know, what we've been saying is um, it, it's about realising that our ultimate fulfilment is not in sex, but is in Jesus. So look to Jesus and um, that, that is where we will find fulfilment. Um, well, you know, yeah. What would you, what I mean, would you I, like I suppose I'd add on, on a practical note. Um, somebody once gave a helpful analogy, I think, of kind of like sexual desires being like a kind of a, an oven. And there are things that we can do that kind of can turn it up, turn the oven up, and things that we can do that turn the oven down. I mean, that sounds very simplistic, but I think actually there is a lot of truth in that. Um, you know, there are certain things that we can watch on TV that will not be helpful if mm. we are trying to keep our minds and ourselves pure as Christians. I mean, just a little aside, funny story. Those of you who know Rico Tice, I was at uh, uh, Bible College with Rico Tice, and there were moments, basically, when we would, you know, corporately, singles, Friday evening, watching a film um, in, the, in the common room, where Rico, rugby player that he is, would literally stand in front of the TV proclaiming, unhelpful, unhelpful! <laughs> but actually, he was right. You know, and... There are, you know, there are some practical things that, that, that will yeah. help us. And there are probably more pertinently things that won't help us. Yeah. And so, you know, in, in an online world, um, there's tons of stuff online that is going to be deeply unhelpful if you go looking for it and you start watching pornography or you, um, you know, all kinds of things. That is not going to help. And, but for some people, that can be a real... Um, kind of, dra you know, a, a massive magnet and a thing that you just don't know how to handle. And that is something that where it's worth talking um, to others about that to get practical help. There's all kinds of ways um, to help with that um, that um, can be talked about, but probably not right here, right now. Yeah, okay, brilliant. <laughs> um, 
Okay, we've got another two voter, so let's go with that one. We often ascribe the existence of same-sex attraction as a symptom of a fallen world. So how do we express this helpfully to a non-Christian gay friend without them, uh, without them receiving that they are a symptom? I remember, I'll come, 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 come um, because I remember um, Ed Shaw came to speak um, and I, I asked him this sort of question um, afterwards and one of his responses was, was to say that actually probably a helpful prelude to, every, to, 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 to speaking about this is that actually we are all broken in our sexuality but in different ways. Yeah. Um, so actually we're not saying you are kind of just because you have you know same-sex attraction that means that you your sexuality is broken and mine isn't actually all our sexualities are broken but in slightly you know in different ways absolutely i think that's absolutely right um, isn't it yeah yeah right okay cool um now this is a really interesting one <laughs> Um, and a tricky one, uh, and I'm sure that some of us here m may already have faced this question. Should a gay, uh, should a Christian attend a gay wedding or civil partnership celebration? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to give a straight answer to that. It really depends on who you're talking about, what the situation is, what your presence there would imply. Um, I think um, th 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 there are very wise reasons to say no, and that you want to, that, that, by, that by attending you would be implying that you think this is great and you're being asked to celebrate it and you don't feel able to. Um, there may be other reasons why not attending would communicate some kind of, um, you know, hatred, phobia, and uh, you want to, you know, maybe, maybe the people concerned are very clear and they really understand where you're coming from and what you believe and they've nevertheless invited you, and you know that if you go there, they won't start to think, oh, well, he thinks everything's fine, or she thinks everything's fine. Um, you know, but but I, th I think it's better. I think, I, think, I think the answer is think and pray about it, talk with friends. Um, the, life can be complicated. Mm. And Christians will take different views, yeah. views um, on that. I mean, I, th I think just maybe one other thing to add on that um, is that actually if you decide against attending one thing that is good to say within that context is that you still value your relationship with both of them and actually you want to continue that relationship with both of them as a couple you, you know yeah. you, you want to continue your friendship with them um, even though you might disagree on 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 this particular thing but again complicated complicated yeah. issue and christians do have uh, different different views on it um, okay as you described the Christian view of marriage is based on our belief about Jesus and the church does what we believe have any relevance to non-Christian marriage well I think I say yes it does it does because there is only one marriage okay so um, God invented marriage, so, so I think this idea that there's the kind of church marriage and biblical marriage and then the sort of non-Christian marriage, I don't think is all that helpful. Granted that now the state has sort of said that people that the Bible says can't get married can get married, that makes it really confusing, mm. but I don't think it's helpful to try and start to say there is Christian marriage and non-Christian marriage. 
Um, there is only marriage done as God intends it and then marriage done not as God intends it. But there, um, so when people who don't understand what they're doing get married and don't have any concept of who Jesus is, well, they still have an opportunity to, to hear what, what it is they are in fact doing and what, what this relationship is, is, a, is a picture of. Mm. And practically speaking, there are ways that Christians can, can get involved in that. And actually one of the things that the church, speaking generally, does, and the Church of England particularly, is it does exactly this, which is people come and say, please go and get married in your church. And that's an opportunity to say, yeah, you're going to make promises before God and let me explain to you what that means and um, give you an opportunity to respond personally as you do that. But we, you know, we the church think marriage is great. So yes, you can get married. You know, that, that's the sort of message. Um, yeah. But... And, and in, in a kind of, I suppose, in the broadest sense, it's still, even a non-Christian marriage is still modelling unity and difference. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Or yeah. union and difference. Yeah. Um, I, I suppose this is a bit more of a, a, a broader one. Um, how can we go about being a witness to our gay friends? Um, <clears throat> I mean, there's all kinds of things we can say, and livingout.org has, has some amazing resources on, on this kind of thing. But the first thing to say is, how do you, how do you be a witness to anybody? Be a witness like that. At that. It's as simple as that. So, you know, this is a person made in the image of God, so are you. Um, so start by befriending, loving, and uh, find out what they're interested in see how the gospel applies to them that's what you that's what we that's what christians would do with anybody and it's what we should do with, with um just because somebody says i'm gay the world says that oh that makes that make that puts them in a different category god says well it doesn't actually because we're all we're all sexual sinners so why are we why are you going to single out this person as somehow being needed to be treated differently um they're still just a sinner still struggle with things so I, i'm a sinner too and i i believe in jesus so mm. start there yeah, I mean, I, th I think it is, and I know <laughs> this is something that's very much written into my heart from having got it spectacularly wrong before. Um, but actually, I think you know, the first and foremost thing we're trying to do is, is actually point them to Jesus, not point them to this issue. You know, yeah. that actually they will never get, in a sense, they will never be able to accept this issue until they have first met Jesus. So in a sense, it's kind of, if they are willing for this, set the issue aside to some extent and just actually... <laughs> Yeah, and you Jesus. say, look, look, it's not about, what I care about is not your relationship status. What I care about, first of all, is whether you know Jesus. And whether you say that literally like that or whether you imply that through what you say and do, you know, that, that's the point, isn't it? So that people can't miss that this is about Jesus and that your desire for them is not to be happily married to a member of the opposite sex, but your desire for them is to be, mm. is to know Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Um. Um, we touched on transgender last week, but just kind of in terms of pointing, pointing you back to this, um, pointing you back to other resources in the trans, in the transgender. I, I think that means the transgender maybe. evening, maybe that we have. Yeah. Okay. Ago. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. The speaker underlined the difference there is within each sex as a reason it's fine not to match a gender stereotype. So can't there be unity and difference in any relationship? Yeah. I mean, this is, yeah, this is really interesting. And, and so there is a difference between sex and gender. 
isn't there? So um, in the sense of, um, and certainly in terms of which I mean in the way that the world thinks about it, there's a difference between sex and gender. Um, so, um, you know, you could, there's male and female, but there are different ways of expressing being a man and being a woman that you don't have to sort of fit just because, you know, I, I'm a man, so I have to behave like this. Well, no, there's different ways of being a man and the same with being a woman. Um, so, yeah, that, that I think that was probably the point around um, sex and gender in, in that evening. But um, does that mean, oh, well, you know, if you get two different types of men, you know, the, you know and, 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 there's, there's difference. Well, I think the, po the, the point in the end is we, we have to trust that God who designed us knows what he's talking about. And it, it does come back to that in that he, he has said male and female, he has said that is what is um, union and difference. And I, I think in kind of, you know, the Bible doesn't use that phrase, union and indifference. And in trying to kind of point these things out, what we're trying to do is just dig a little bit beyond, well, these are the rules, God says it, so that's it, you know, go home and believe it. We're trying to just dig underneath. But sometimes we will, you know, we will hit things where we can say, well, couldn't God have done it like this? Couldn't he have said it was okay for people of two different... Um, you know, two different types of men to marry each other. Well, I don't know, but he didn't, and he's God. And yeah, and, yeah. I, and I suppose, I mean, just to take it back to biology, really, you know, that there is a, a complementarity between the male and female body that, that is perfectly matched for sex that actually isn't between two men or two women. Yeah. So it, it, it is that, you know, the kind of the one sex, the one flesh union, yeah. you know, shows the the male and female body linking together in a wonderful way that was, that was designed that way. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, I mean, I think that's absolutely right, isn't it? So, um, yeah, that's, that's your unity in, in, in difference. Okay. Um, where are we? Okay, yeah. Um, what effect does the fall have on how we should think of this topic? Well, I mean, um, sin affects everything. We're all sinners. Um, so the fall is where Adam sins and therefore um, we, uh, and sin enters the world and we're, we're all sinners too. So, um, it, it, yeah, it affects everything, doesn't it? I mean, but, but it, it, you know, it, it says this is one of the reasons why relationships here and now are never going to be perfect. So don't live for now, live for eternity. Because if you put your hope in the perfect relationship now with whoever, with the, the perfect marriage or the perfect same-sex relationship or the perfect relationship outside of marriage, it's, it, it, it's not going to deliver what, what, it, mm. what, what it promises. Mm. Um, and uh, so put your hope in Jesus. Mm. And the fool is, is part of that. I mean, there's loads of other things we could say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it mars, but it doesn't completely obscure yeah. God's purposes. Yeah. Um, what are we doing? Okay, three more. To, okay, okay. Um, again, this may be a better one to, to point to particular yeah. details on that. Does the Bible say anything about intersex individuals? I mean, it's o only that the, 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 the rare, the real, this is a real thing, but it's very rare um, for uh, there to be something that makes it difficult to say whether somebody is a man or a woman, biologically speaking. It's extremely rare but it is, but it is real, and I, I think the, you know, med, the medics will have opinions on exactly on, on, on what to, to say about this. But I suppose one thing to say is the, the, 
this is a little bit that, to do with the fall again and things being messed up. Um, I think people who find themselves in that situation, it's extremely difficult, and I think that's, an, that's a, a, a sign of this being not quite how we were intended to be. Um, and um, what else to, to say? I think... Um, I think, I think I, all I would say otherwise is I think you can hold on to male and female um, without, uh, and still grant that there are, there are um, difficult cases in between without, without jettisoning the whole idea that God created male and female. Um, and there are, there are all kinds of reasons why you can say that, but I, mm. think, I think that is important. Yeah, yeah. okay, thank you. Uh, down to Sue. Um, could you please tell me how my sexual sin will affect the church family? Okay, I mean, I don't know whether that is a, uh, a theoretical, you know, I don't know, I don't, I don't know quite where that question is coming from, and obviously that, that will <laughs> slightly depend. Like, if, it's, if we're talking about real sexual sin, the best thing to do is to talk to a trusted Christian friend or a pastor, talk it through, and know that Jesus died on the cross for sinners and when we put our trust in him we are forgiven and we have a fresh start and there is help so that that's the first thing to say but if we're sort of saying more broadly like come on surely sexual sin can't affect anybody else because it's just between me and the person so stop banging on about this and making such a fuss about it which might be an, another thing that some uh, angle from which someone might say and um i think you know sin has a way of breaking out in, in all kinds of different ways and, and spoiling relationships and, um, uh, and I think the Bible in the New Testament talks about that a bit in terms of people's relationships um, and, and, and sin causing problems in the church family. Um, but I, yeah, I'm not quite sure where else to go with that question. You no, 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 I mean... No. Talk uh, to uh, a friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And pray. Yeah. And, you know, God is a God of grace. <laughs> yeah. There we go. I don't yeah. know. Could yeah. be someone online. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what, what that is. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. But, but equally, I guess we can say, you know, all our sins affect the church family in different ways. Yeah, indeed. So, indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Last question. Last question. Only man is made in God's image. <laughs> Human. Um, <laughs> hopefully, that's humanity. Yes. So being made male and female reflects something of who God is. Animals okay. are male and female, yet not in the image of God. How does that affect how we understand male and female? Okay, I mean, that's, that's a great question. There are lots of things about animals which are sometimes a bit like humans. So look at a chimpanzee. You can think, well, there's, yeah, there's lots of similarities there, but also lots of differences. And I think it's just interesting that he doesn't mention male and female until he gets to human beings. And obviously, even the writer of Genesis knows that there are male and female animals. Um, but the, 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 we, we know that... Um, this is just saying there's something about male and female, nevertheless, that is pointing to who God is. And in a lesser degree, so will animals, because all of creation points to God. It's just that, man, uh, that human beings are made in his image. But, but, but the whole of creation reflects his glory. You know, um, you know, the Bible makes clear and, and tells us something of him. And I, and I suppose it goes back to that initial question that actually it isn't just being made male and female, that actually reflects God's image in us as humans. Yeah. Um, you know, I suppose 
self-consciousness, the ability to relate, to think, to plan, to create, you know, all those yeah. things. Reason. Which, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Thank you so much for wonderful um, questions yeah, and um, do keep asking questions. Next week, we're going to look at the purpose of beauty. Okay, so this is kind of saying, well, why did God make us all different from each other? Why didn't he just make us like the Borg in Star Trek, where it's like we're all the same, um, and uh, that would just all be a lot simpler. What's going on? What's the point of beauty? What's the point of beauty if you're attracted to people that you can't be married to for whatever kind of reason? You know, all those kinds of things, you put those all together, there's lots to think about around uh, beauty and to, and to fit that into God's beautiful story that we've been thinking about. Thank you. Would you like to lead us in prayer as we finish? Okay. Thanks, Thanks Brian. Mm -hmm. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that all your gifts to us are good gifts. And thank you, Lord, that, that even the fall cannot completely erase your image within each one of us. Thank you that we are all still image bearers. And Lord, wherever each one of us is tonight in terms of our, our relationships or our understanding of marriage, whether, whether single or, or married or no longer married, Lord, I pray that you would help us to have the biblical perspective. And most of all, that you would help us to, to look beyond the, tra the trailer to the real thing. Help us to keep looking to Jesus and to keep trusting that he is the answer to our deepest needs. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Amen.